All the scientists are running around looking for the monkey, but he can't be found because he's down by the pond playing hockey with the kids. And all the mothers are running around looking for the children, but they can't be found because he's down by the pond playing hockey with the monkey. And it's one, two, Wire has done it all, from hosting his own radio show to appearing 40 times on TSN's Off the Record. He is described by many as a hockey historian and by Phil Esposito as a walking encyclopedia. He is a published author who has traveled all across our great nation to MC charity events, and he is a very hard man to stunt. His latest book, The Real Ogie, is now in bookstores everywhere, and the reviews are terrific. Without further ado, welcome to the Bucket Drop Podcast, Liam McGuire. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks very much, Bobby. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, so as I mentioned in my intro, uh, you're a very hard guy to stump, and uh, such was the case in Cornwall, uh, I want to say six years ago at a charity event for the Chio Foundation, and uh, people were just uh, screaming out names, uh, players' names, and uh, one person <laughs> in the crowd yelled out, Tony Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, I uh, remember that. Well, I actually coached, uh, I, I, I really wasn't uh, so much the coach as I was more the uh, the guy who filled out the, the game sheet, but I did stand behind the bench for a men's league uh, tournament where Tony played. And it was my first time meeting him, and we talked about his, his couple games in the NHL and his goal, and uh, that was pretty cool stuff. He's a big boy. Yeah, he is, and he's a police officer in Cornwall, of course. And uh, your love for the stats and the players started with uh, with hockey cards or simply playing hockey? Uh, well, it probably almost coincided with each other. Uh, I mean, I, I as far back as I can remember, when, when we moved to where I grew up, basically, the cars rolled. Uh, between two villages, Manitick and Cars, in 1966, I turned seven that summer, and I started collecting hockey cards pretty much uh, that next winter, 67, 68. So I signed up for hockey right away as well. So they they kind of went hand in hand, but uh, but the in terms of the anecdotes and the stats and uh, the background stuff, I mean, you were getting it from the cards in those days. There, there was no there was no other source of information. Yeah, you your uh, your local paper. We got, we were subscribers to the Ottawa Citizen, and I uh, would devour their sports section. Obviously, especially during the hockey season, I was still at least six seven years away from getting a subscription to the hockey news and obtain my you know my first media guides and things of that nature. That that came when I was you know fourteen fifteen and stuff. So when I was seven and eight and nine, the uh, the formative years of of uh, getting involved in the game is playing as a kid and and, and uh, it was really the hockey cards and watching hockey in Canada that provided uh, your, your bits of information. You were on a podcast recently with uh, Brady Leibold and uh, you mentioned that your favorite player was the Roadrunner. Like, were you a Habs fan as well? Yeah, I was born in Montreal. So, okay. you know, I mean, I was born in Montreal, lived the first uh, seven years of my life in the province of Quebec. So, you know, yeah. and then move up here 120 miles away. There's no NHL team. There's no sense here. So, you know, it was very easy to stay a Habs fan in, in those days. And, and uh, you know, so I was, I was 33, 34 when, when the uh, Ottawa Senators came back. So there's no way I was switching. 
to uh, sure. to uh, to leave to leave the Montreal Canadiens at, at at that time. So half awesome. through and through, brother, through and through. Yeah, my dad, my dad would be happy to hear that. And uh, in an article published in 2012, uh, I could be a little off on the the details. You said that you could give information on about 5,000 players that have played since 1917. It's incredible knowledge, especially considering that some of these guys have only played one game. The, the information that I have on the 5,000 or so players are guys who did something anecdotally, but uh, I'm not a computer. Uh, there's a reason why there's 3,500 names-ish uh, that I can't tell you anything about. There has to be some sort of anecdote or for trivia sure. significant statistic for me to have filed it away. I, I don't have a photographic memory. Otherwise, I'd know all 8,000-plus names <laughs> and could still fill myself as uh, as the NHL trivia expert of the world. I went by that for years. I regard myself more as a historian you know, since uh, the internet came out and the cell phones became prevalent. So it's it's not a question of, like, I don't know how many assists somebody had in a given season or, I mean, there's statistics. To tell yeah, you yeah. Who was your idol um, as far as hockey historians uh, went as a kid? And uh, how old were you when you decided that you, like, you wanted to work in the hockey world in uh, some shape or form? The first, I mean, I watched Hockey Night in Canada, as I said, Danny Gallivan and Dick Irvin, but I, I didn't really resonate with them. I mean, they were play-by-play in color. The name that really first grabbed my attention when I was 13, going to high school, grade 9, 13, turned 14, uh, was the director of statistics for the National Hockey League, uh, the late Ron Andrews. And I used to, on Fridays, I went to St. Pius X High School in Ottawa, and on Fridays at lunch hour, I would I would uh, hammer my lunch back and then walk down to the corner store about a block and a half away. It was called Jack's. They had a pay phone there, and I could phone Montreal, and I would phone the head office of the NHL and talk to Ron every Friday for three minutes. I could get a three-minute call in for 75 cents. <laughs> I would awesome. pump in three-quarters in the phone, and he would say, uh, what you find for me this week, Liam? And I'd say, well, Mr. Andrews, I was looking at Bobby Orris plus minus, and you know, he was plus 124 in 1971, and he's not going to come close to that this year. And what do you think? I mean, you know, and I remember talking about stuff like that, you know. It was uh, it was pretty cool. And then I did that for pretty much every year. I was at Pius, and I said, I really want to meet you one day, sir. And sure enough, 1984, uh, the NHL fired him. The reason they fired him, he was their director of staff for 21 years. And the reason they fired him is because he refused to use the computer. He said, I don't okay. need it. That I can write everything down. I've got every name that played in the NHL going back to 1917, and I've got all the back down documentation from the guys that I I first started recording in 1963. And and they said, uh, Ron, you have to use the computer, buddy. Or listen, we love you, but we can't. You have to. And he refused, and so they let him go. And that very first NHL guide without him, they omitted Danny Potvin's name. You know, so which never happened on his watch in 21 well, years. And uh, do you remember your first appearance on on the uh, on the airwaves or on TV? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, May twenty first, nineteen eighty one. I did uh, the Hal Anthony show on radio station CFRA, two uh, two hour show, and uh, they paid me seventy five bucks uh, to answer hockey trivia questions. We took calls for two hours. And uh, like obviously, it's like uh, eat, breathe, and uh, sleep hockey. But uh, do you find uh, time to f- do other things like golf? Uh, I know a lot of uh, ex hockey players are big golfers. Yeah, I'm an avid golfer as well. I'm a member of the course here about seven, eight minutes from where I live. I've been there for 40, over 40 years. So big part of my life. I love the sport and I love the camaraderie of it. There's a lot of former players. We have a lot of, uh, we have current senators that are members there and former senators. We have Brian Kilray, who's a member there and his longtime assistant coach, Bert O'Brien. They're members there. And, um, 
lots lots of hockey at the club uh lots of lots of former pros and and uh, guys like that so it's it, it's a great place i love the sport the real ogie would be uh book number four am i correct yeah that's okay. correct and uh ogie oglethorpe in Slapshot is based on the real human being and professional hockey player how, how did this come about well i um i'm doing very similar to what you're doing right now um i was on uh Rogers Radio in Ottawa, winding up a four-year contract, and he was one of my last guests um, as the contract was winding down, my third or fourth last guest, and it was a very compelling um, interview. Uh, he was heading to Kingston. He lives out west in Surrey, B.C., outside Vancouver, and he was heading to Kingston for a promotion, so I, I I drove down to meet him, and we spent the weekend together with some of his former pro buddies, including Doug Gilmore, and uh, I just talked to him about the book on uh, on the Sunday before I came home, and he said a couple guys had talked to him about it before, but never followed through. And we shook hands on it, and uh, and things took off from there. So it still took a long time to uh, to get a deal and get it sorted. And then I had to write it. Had to write it. You know, we got her done, and uh, very proud of it. It's it's an insane story. It's not for everybody. It's definitely not for yep. the faint of heart. It's very violent. But um, mm-hmm. the violence are all you know. Ninety eight percent is all fistic. It's all just fights. You know, on and off the ice and why they happened and where they happened and things of that nature so yeah and like uh like i'm very excited to read it obviously i want to thank you a lot uh you told me that you'd be sending me a copy which is awesome and uh, i don't want to ask too many questions uh, to give too much information away uh but it obviously follows his journey from a very young age oh yeah yeah we take him right from birth pretty much uh okay and uh, he's born in Thunder Bay, but they moved when he was just a baby pretty much to, to a, a town called Horn Payne, which very few people have heard of. But it's, it's 250 miles due north of Sault Ste. Marie. So you're you're up there, man. Yeah, and I know that he was a polarizing figure, to say the least. Are there some funny anecdotes that you can share? I know uh, the, the slap shot one was pretty good. Yeah, I mean... Um, We've got that story in the book, and it's a uh, it's a good one, you know. It's be- because it involves former very colorful referee Paul Stewart. Before Paul Stewart became a referee, he was uh you know he was a player. He played pro. He had a he had a cup of coffee in the NHL for the Quebec Nordiques. He played in the WHA and he played in the minors. And him and Goldie were teammates. So the story goes that they were teammates, but there was um there was an immediate dislike between the two of them. Goldie joined the team in January, and Stewart was sort of the reigning enforcer on the team, which typically meant Goldie would seek out whoever sort of had the role if they were still there and uh, and would um, summarily, you know, beat the crap out of the guy, uh, either in practice or off the ice, and that's what happened. They got in a bar fight, actually. Goldie used to chase him around the ice in practice and stuff like that, too, so tension was building, and there was an alter- another altercation on the ice again when they were teammates, and as uh, it was pretty vicious, a lot of stick swinging, and actually a young boy got hurt in the stands that particular occasion. When they came off the ice, words were exchanged. Goldie threw a, a bottle at Paul's head, and he, his hand was sweaty, so the bottle slipped and went over Paul's head. It was a Coke bottle full of Coke, and it smashed, and glass came down all over Paul Newman's brother, Art Newman, who had just walked through the dressing room door as this bottle came over Jeez. his head like a missile and yeah. the glass and the coke came all over his bald head and he didn't realize that it was Goldie who had thrown it. He just looked over and saw this animal, which Goldie looks like and said did then primarily yeah. the big afro, yeah. Big afro, just the way he looked. And uh he just uh, you know, threw a line in the sand right there. Had no idea at that point that Nancy Dowd, the screenwriter, had written in you know, the entire series of, of mentions of this character, Ogie Oglethorpe, who was based on Goldie. So the common thinking was that it would make the most sense to have the man play the role created for him. 
Of but course. From that from that moment on, uh, it was generally regarded that he was just not to be trusted. Too wild, too unpredictable, too potentially violent. With Paul Newman in the house, as respected and uh, an actor as he was, they they were concerned about something happening, and they didn't bring Goldie on the set, which is really unfortunate. He never would have touched Paul. He would have revered him like everybody else. Uh, he he probably would have fought some of the other guys that he had beef with, if yeah. not on the ice, probably off. He admits that uh, by his own admission, he admits that. But you know, he never got a dime for it, and. And that name is mentioned 21 times in the movie, Ogie Oglethorpe, 21 times before yeah, that guy states out, uh, you know, portraying him at the end. And that's too bad, you know, like he could have been a real good character in that movie. And uh, I know that he didn't like his portrayal in the movie Slab Shot. But uh, one thing I want to ask you about is the Hallmark Channel's Mr. Hockey movie. Uh, have you seen that one? Yep. So I was watching this on Sunday with my wife, and uh, there's a guy that walks out with a huge blonde afro, and I said to myself, that has to be Goldie. Uh, yeah. So did he ever share any Gordy stories with you? Yeah. Yeah. We, well, our cover of the book, which you'll you'll see when you get it. Yeah, hopefully I'm is... not giving you too much away right now. But... <laughs> no, 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 okay. not at all. Oh, my God. There's, I mean, there's, there's 14 chapters, 245 pages, about 85,000 okay. words. And it's nonstop stories. I mean, there are literally hundreds. It's crazy. It's okay. amazing. It could not be alive. Uh, that's that's part of. I'm writing a screenplay for the movie. That's what I'm currently doing. That's awesome. Yeah. It needed to be in print, but now it needs to be on the big screen. That's amazing. But the cover of the book is a picture of Goldie and a referee trying to score him off the ice, and he's yelling at somebody, and the player he's yelling at is Gordie Howe. When when that when that picture was taken, it's in the WHA playoffs. So uh, they had. Uh, um, they they had a verbal set to on the ice, and it happened because one of Gordy's boys took a run at Goldie, and Goldie slapped him, and then Gordy got involved, and Goldie tells the story to Senate. You know, he says, um, that, you know, he's yelling at Hal, and that's when that picture was taken. He's saying, when you retire, I'm going to kick the crap out of both your sons. And both <laughs> Goldie was out of hockey, Gordy was still playing. Yeah. So it, was, uh, it, was, it was kind of funny. He jokes about it now. But, you know, the fact is, is that um, two years later, as Goldie was moving around the minor ranks and in, the, in and out of the WHA and whatnot, he had occasion to uh, hook up with uh, Gordie Howe through a mutual friend named John Shella in a bar in Baltimore. And the three of them sat down and drank some beer and shook hands. And uh, there was definitely no hard feelings. And he has the utmost respect for the Howe family and especially for Gordie. But it is ironic that our cover photo, which is the prime photo on Goldie Goldthorpe, and he's actually yelling at Gordie Howe. Pretty special. That's amazing. Yeah, and I actually have a friend that I've had on the podcast on a few occasions that was friends with the the Howe family, and uh, it, it's great to hear that they were able to uh, share a beer together at the end of the day. So, um, yeah. and, and I think he uh, he retired in his 30s, uh, Bill. So, uh, what kind of work did he go into after his hockey career? Um, when he immediately got out of hockey, he was a doorman. He, he worked a number of spots as a doorman because he was training. He got into bodybuilding, and he became a competitive bodybuilder, and he won. He had experimented with it in San Diego, and he took a third-place finish in Mr. San Diego a couple of years before. And in this case here, 84-85, that, that winter, he trained and competed and won Mr. New Brunswick. And so uh, we have the pictures in the book. He looks sculpted, absolutely just ripped. With the afro again? Well, the afro was, was largely diminished at that point. Okay. It, it, it started to rescind as he was yeah, yeah. Uh, getting, getting older and uh, it didn't uh, carry the same uh, the same metal off the ice, I guess, shall we say. So uh, it started to shorten up a little bit. <laughs> 
but it's still there. You can still see it. I mean, he's never lost his hair. He still has a full head of hair. And yep. it's still curly. It's just not it's not Afro like it was back in the yeah. day. But as he moved around Canada and uh, up and back in the States and different things, and he was still playing a little bit of senior hockey, but he was out of pro. But he, um, I don't think you'd call it good fortune necessarily. Only the one part where you would is because he did make some incredible friends. But he ended up hanging around uh, with some guys who were involved with uh, the Hells Angels. And he, you know, as the days and weeks and months became years, he got more heavily involved with the Hells Angels and um, actually was used by them in a, in a number of uh, situations. I, I don't, he was never like fully patched or anything like that, but he was riding with them. And it did lead to a pretty hairy situation when he determined that it was probably not a good life choice because a number of them were either getting arrested, like significant jail time, unlike a lot of the little bits Goldie was doing for assault, and, uh, or getting killed. And um, so Goldie decided he was going to uh, summarily exit. Well, there's really only two ways you exit a biker gang, you know, and mm-hmm. one, one of them is feet first. Uh, the other one was, uh, you know, you basically fight your way out, and that's what he did. And he fought the uh, the top enforcers for Hell Angels in Kelowna, B.C. in an absolutely insane brawl. And uh, that was his final experience with them. And then he went pretty much full-time into construction after that. And that's pretty much what he's been doing in his life since then. Good to know that he's doing uh, regular work now. You guys obviously traveled a lot, I imagine, to promote the book. So uh, how did he enjoy that ride? He loved it. He, it was amazing. Almost every place we went, we had former teammates showing up, you know, or guys we played against. Going back to junior, we had so many occasions of that. It was it was just incredible. And uh, that was tiring. You know, uh, our, our first tour, you know, was uh, we, we did eight days, you know, a couple-day break, and then another six. It was too much. And I'm no spring chicken either, but he's older than I am. And, and neither one of us shuttered out early, if you know what I mean. So we both <laughs> like a pop, and we like uh, we like to give fans their due. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty comfortable on a microphone. So there were a number of events where I was either the MC or doing hockey trivia after, as well as having Goldie for a hot stove. And then we had the book there. So these are very engaging, uh, you know, promotional opportunities that we were managing to book over a course of about, almost eight full months so it was it was pretty hectic but he enjoyed it it just it was a little tiring when we did get a break and and he got to fly home it was a it was a good recharge for him you know it was hectic for sure and uh you're a natural on the mic uh but he's as well i guess yeah he's not as glib as i am obviously i've done it as a for a living you know for 40 years mm. but he's comfortable he's comfortable enough where it, there's no reservation if he needs to tell the story He'll, he'll get it done. He'll get the story out there so that people will understand the gist of the insanity that they're about to hear. <laughs> Pure insanity. But Goldie is, uh, is very confident on a, on a microphone. He's very confident. It, it helps if you can lead him. We're a great mm-hmm. team that way because I, can, I know him now better than anybody yeah. uh, next, to, next to himself. And I can steer it and, and lead him into the, the, the stories, you know, and, and then kind of kind of feel that move things along from there so you know i find i find we're, we're a good team when we can when we can do the hits together yeah that's pretty cool and like your knowledge of the game obviously comes from hard work and years of studying but your memory is still amazing so uh does this gift trace back yeah yeah it does my late father was brilliant absolutely brilliant man and um the, my mother's family have, are historically known for their memory. So you put that combo together, and then you add uh, passion and love for something, and you're you're gonna you're gonna remember a lot of stuff. You know, it doesn't matter what uh, what your interest is, but if that's your combo that you've been blessed with a with a good memory, a great memory, which I have been, and then you add uh, 
you have passion for a particular subject, an absolute unabashed love for it, and an opportunity, you know, to to, to work it publicly too. Like it's one thing to mm-hmm. sit down and say, yeah, ask me any year, you know, who won the Stanley Cup. I can tell you to be able to add the rest of the story is is the secret of what I do. You know, it's what separates me from anybody else who was ever a trivia expert or a, especially that. I mean, that was the term back in the day when I started. But as I said, 20 years plus now, you know, I've morphed into calling myself a historian because, you know, if you ask me who won the cup in 1930 and I said Montreal and they beat the Bruins, you can look that up and find it on your phone in, in two seconds now. So it's not as big a deal if I tell you that, uh, the half top line was Howie Morenz and Rose Joliet, Johnny Black at Daniel, and that the Bruins uh, had the best winning percentage in NHL history in that regular season, but lost to the Canadians in the finals. You know, like, you start adding the rest of the story, right? So yeah. it's what's become one of my forte in the last 20 plus years. And that's incredible. And like, I can't remember what we had for dinner last night. I mean, uh, like, <laughs> that's impressive. Just to add on to that question, are there younger generations in the, in the family that are uh, showing signs of the gift that may use it for hockey or other avenues? My son definitely has um, has the memory. He has it for sure, but he's uh, absolutely forbid him to uh, <laughs> follow in this path. Believe me, man, it's been a lot of years where it's been two steps forward, three back. You know, he never really reached the pinnacle of full-time employment in the industry, making making the big bucks. You know, which about top five percent of people in the media do. You've got the next. 60, 65% that can make a comfortable living at it. I've been more or less in the bottom end of probably that pile, you know. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of years great, but a lot of years lean. And I would never want my son to, you know, if anybody coming out to get into something else, like, you know, if you're going to, if media is really your, that's really the thing that's driving you, well then, you know, get get in the media. Like I pigeonholed, I created something out of nothing. There was nobody doing what I did. Like Dick Irvin went on and had a show called Know Your Sports. And he loved his hockey trivia, and he had a show-called Hockey Magazine, and he brought me on 14 times as a guest over seven years and paid me for it. But, you know, um, he was a, he was a, you know, a, a radio play-by-play guy, a TV color commentator, and the director of sports at TFCS Sports. I mean, he, he was probably making over 100 grand a year at those jobs in the 1970s. That was monstrous money. I'd come down and do a hit for him once a month and pick up six, 700 bucks. Well, what am I doing for the rest of the month to make my money? You know, so it, it, I would never want anybody to follow it as, as, as pigeonholed as I, as I put myself in at that time, you know, but it was no regrets. It was a great ride. And I really appreciate your dedication to the sport. Uh, I know I was fascinated when you came to Cornwall. Uh, I love that you wrote a book about an enforcer as well. If we can do a bit of trivia, that'd be terrific. Yeah, take a rip at it. All right. Who's the only hockey player to have a goal assisted by Gordy Howe and Wayne Gretzky in an out-of-contest professional hockey game? Gordy Howe and Wayne Gretzky? Well, Mark Howe. I mean, Mark Howe scored a goal that both Gordy Howe and Wayne Gretzky assisted on in the 1979 exhibition series between the WHA All-Stars and the, and the Soviet uh, national team. Excellent. Who was the first team to win back-to-back Stanley Cup titles? Stanley Cup started in 1893, and the first the first team to actually have their name on it twice, and it was two in a row, was the Montreal Amateur Athletic Association. So is that the one they're looking for, 1893 and 1894, or are they talking a little bit more recent? Uh, a bit more recent. Yeah. So the question probably is regarding the NHL, and the first team to win back-to-back in the NHL was the Ottawa Senators in 1920 and 21. Or, if it's in the NHA, the first team to win back-to-back was the Quebec Bulldogs in 1912 or 1913. Or, if it's in Stanley Cup history, then it's the Montreal Amateur Athletic Association. So, depending on how you phrase the question, you have three answers. 
Well, you just blew my mind. What player had his name misspelled on the Stanley Cup and uh, later corrected? Oh, my God. There's so many. There's there's at least 50 to 60 names have been misspelled on the Stanley Cup. In some cases, many of them later corrected. So are you talking uh, – now, the one that's more commonly asked that I get over the years is uh, Adam Deadmarsh. That's the one I looked up, so <laughs> – but there, there was a lot more than I guess. Dozens and dozens and dozens. Who scored the last goal in WHA history? Dave Semenko. Excellent. Which former Cornell Royal won four consecutive Stanley Cups and is also a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame? Billy Smith. For sure. What is your favorite Will Ferrell movie? <laughs> Tell it again. What the hell are you talking about? Well, you told me that day at school for career day. You came in and you said, if you ain't first, you're last. Oh, hell, Ricky, I was high when I said that. But that doesn't make any sense at all. First, you're last. You, you can be second. You can be third, fourth. Hell, you can even be fifth. That's a great one. Which former Royal was credited for scoring a Memorial Cup and Stanley Cup bowl? Well, Doug Gilmore did. Yeah, that's uh, the one. You're nailing them out of the park. Uh, which Cornwall Royal was drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers ahead of Bobby Clark? Bob Currier. That's amazing. <laughs> Which former Royal and tough guy signed as an unrestricted free agent in July of 2004 with the Pittsburgh Penguins? Former Royal. And played 20 games for them in the 2005-2006 season. Latang? No, he was the man that unfortunately ended the, the career of Nick Kiprios. Oh, that was Vandenbush? Exactly. Next question, uh, name a former Royal that went on to play for the Vancouver Canucks and later coached the same team. Mark Crawford. Easy peasy. Finally, this is not trivia, but what is your favorite hockey book and your favorite hockey movie? Well, Slapshot. Not even close for a movie. Oh, my eye on the three, you guys. For one thing, you're out of this game. I run a clean game here. I have any trouble, I'll suspend. I'm looking at a fucking song! Favorite hockey book other than the four I've written. If I had to pick somebody else's, I would say uh, probably Bobby Orr's memoirs that came out there about four or five years ago. Uh, one of my favorites. Um, even some of the um, historical books. I, I guess if I had to pick my favorite all time, there was a three-volume set. If anybody has them today, and I do, uh, they're worth hundreds and hundreds, if not several thousands of dollars. They're called The Trail of the Stanley Cup. There's three versions, ver or excuse me, three books, um, volume one, volume two, volume three. They have details on every Stanley Cup season from 1893 to 1967. It's incredible because Charles Coleman wrote it, and he went back for the, the few years that he didn't see it because he, he witnessed a good chunk of those firsthand. And um, they, those books right now, as I, as I do this podcast with you, Bobby, are literally two feet from me, all three of them. Now they're, they stay in close proximity to them. I refer to them quite a bit because you can go back and look in specific seasons. Not that they have a game report on every game, obviously, but of the significant moments in any given year, likely going to be some sort of uh, some sort of write-up on it, and uh, it's it's just incredible, incredible for uh, for historical uh, fact-checking, anecdotes, and information. It's just unbelievable. So, I guess to be to be fair, that three-volume set would be my favorite. Well, that's really interesting, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of people appreciate your dedication to the game and. Uh, all your uh, trivia knowledge. So uh, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Ray on Bobby. Thanks for having me, man.